What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We said that Michael Parkhurst was coming on, and, and he's going to. You, you will appreciate, for those of you who are watching on Twitch, how the man is styling and profiling this morning. Check out the lid on the captain. Morning, John. Morning, sir. Uh, opening kickoff this morning, uh, I know this will surprise you. Opening kickoff kind of got off the rails a little bit. Once again. <laughs> I know, Fridays I, at four. Well, and, and like I said, I know it will surprise you. So I, I'm, in, I'm in Macon. I'm in Macon, Georgia, about 90 minutes south of Atlanta because the high school basketball championships are going on, and this is me without makeup and a suit this week. So I know that's a scary proposition. So in the hotel <clears> – <throat> There is a sign next to the fire, uh, the, the water sprinkler to take care of fires. Literally, and it's a sign with a little picture on it that says, do not hang, do not put hangers on the sprinkler. This will cause flooding. Hmm. I want to pay attention to that. And I was saying that in a hotel room, I mean, traditional stay. I mean, when you're on the road, how long is a traditional uh, traditional stay for you when you're in a hotel? Two days. Okay. So you would think that with the closet that is in said hotel room, when you are in a hotel room stay for two days, that the closet could handle everything that you're bringing with you, true? 100%. Why in God's name... With a closet the size it is for a two-day hotel stay, would you want to put something on a fire sprinkler, on a water sprinkler? This is what some crazy people out there, John. This is what I'm saying. This is it's like why, and I know there are crazy people. And so then we got into the idea of okay, are there other signs out there or other commercials out there? And that gravitated to that, where you've watched and you sat there and you went, Well, that's a big old giant duh. Yet they still do it anyway. Have you, have you, what other ones are out there for you? Like the commercial with the, the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, what is it? The, like the prescriptions where they say, don't take this if you're allergic to this. <laughs> and you're going, yeah, seriously, we get this today. And I didn't know if you would run into those kinds of things either that you sit there and went, yeah, that's a big old giant, duh. Uh, I mean, the obvious one for me is like when you order a coffee and the the lid or the cup says careful it's hot and you're like yeah i hope it is uh, <laughs> unless you <laughs> unless you like cold coffee for whatever yeah. um, but, uh, traveling john i mean you see the you see the best and the worst of uh, society out there every time every time through the airport it's just amazing to see people that look like they've never in the last at least since 911 traveled <laughs> and have no idea how to get through a security line. It's incredible. Well, and, and you know, they got, they're wearing their belt and they're wearing like shoes with laces and you're going, come on, man. They're wearing their jacket. You know, it's like, 
<clears throat> having to take everything off and put it in, you know, they forget that they forget their phone is in their back pocket. They forget their keys, which are in their front pocket. And it's like, they have to go like three or four different times. And you're sitting there and you're looking at your watch and you're going, you know, it'd be nice if I could actually, Oh, I don't know. Get my way through this line here. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Right. Absolutely. And that was actually a really good prank that we used to do. Oh, at Atlanta United. Um, on travel days, right, uh, was if you could sneak a water into someone's bag that they were carrying on <laughs> so that they had, so they got pulled over by security, obviously, uh, going through the security checkpoint and, you know, go through the bag and they find the water and, you know, the guy's always like, well, how the heck did that water get in there? And, and you guys are going, uh, uh, yeah, meet, meet you at the gate. <laughs> we'll see you in a bit um all right so uh, there's a lot of stuff i want to get into this morning do you want to talk soccer or do you want to talk mentoring first uh soccer okay so takeaways from the atlanta united match with uh toronto where once again uh you know you get a team that scores an early goal then decide that and, and this went beyond i think what we saw in you know, other, you know, the match against San Jose, it seemed to me like Toronto had zero interest in playing. Insigne wasn't there. And so it just seemed, unless they got the one break where they thought they had numbers, Bob Bradley and Toronto FC thought that the ball had cooties, wanted nothing to do with it, and just punted it. And it's just like, look, I'm going to get the point, and I'm going to get out of Dodge, and I'm going to CONCACAF o'clock this starting in the 50th minute. And you have players who are delaying. You have players who are laying. And this is this is personal pet peeve. And I know that it's all part of concrete caffing, and I get it. Player goes down. And, you know, he's grabbing whatever ailment is there. You know, it's a calf or an ankle. Or he's sitting there, you know, and wondering what's going on. You're wondering. It's like, okay, what hurt? And the stretcher comes out. The stretcher crew comes out. And then just as the stretcher gets there and they put the stretcher down, dude's like, nope, I'm okay. Always. Come on, man. You've got, you've got to give cards in that, in that case. And we rarely ever see it that dude's like, up, oh, I'm up. And, you know, you're just kind of jogging off or whatever. You never see – you rarely – I'll say rarely because not never is probably too much of a stretch. You rarely see cards in a situation where I think cards should be administered when you're trying to conca-calf your way out and get a point or three. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, cards is a a big step, but at the minimum, like when that occurs, the referee should not let the player on for like a solid minute. Like, just don't look over there. You know, like if he's going to lie around and waste three minutes on the field and then expect as soon as he gets on the sideline to run back right, right back on the field, like don't. Uh, that'll teach them a lesson, right? If, especially if they get a, a goal scored on them. All right. Well, they're well. This guy's out of out of bounds. Um, I, I think that's like the next step, right? You're down on the field. You go. You have to go off, right? Because usually those guys are not going off if, if the yellow card was given, right? Because they can take their time. They don't have to go off the field, right? So in any other case, if you're going off the field, I'm thinking you should be off the field for at least a minute. Okay, like a power play situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe if the stretchers come on, you're you're stretching that to a minute and a half or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, uh, so Alex says it's the old James Brown thing where they put the cape on him and start to walk him backstage, and he throws it off and comes back to the mic. But but soccer. So for those of you that watch James Brown, um, 
and and so obviously when when you're when you are playing on a team that's a goal down and, or you're you're trying to fight from a deficit situation and you notice even going in that the team that you're playing against you got a home game team that you're playing against has zero interest in doing anything it's like basically showing up grabbing your paycheck getting your ticket money even though i know it's the 30 percent that goes to the league but just the equivalent of you show up you check in you get the you get the the old stub where you sit there and you check in and it makes the noise and it goes dink you've checked in two hours later you're done you check out how frustrating is that as a player when you know your opposition doesn't seem interested in playing at all yeah that's tough um and, and that's that's challenging and it becomes a mental game as well, right? Of like, you're throwing nine guys forward, but you have to be careful of that counterattack. And the first goal in those types of games is so important, right? I mean, God, it's tough to break down a team that's got 11 guys behind a ball. Um, and if they're able to get the first goal, it just creates... A, I can sense you're frustrated because I think you're playing through scenarios in your mind, right? Yeah, for sure. Because you've been a part of a lot of those games. Like FC Dallas used to play like that a lot um, on the road, especially when I was with Columbus and we would dominate on the, on the ball. You know, they have a couple quick wingers and they get on the break and all of a sudden you find yourself down 1-0. Uh, and then you just throw more numbers forward. You take more chances then the counterattacks more on. And you just get continually more frustrated, more frustrated if you're not able to score a goal. And then that just feeds into the other team, um, especially if they've got a good ability on the counter counterattack to, to score goals. I mean, that was Mon Montreal special for a number of years when they had Piotti um, pulling the strings up there. Uh, but yeah, th those are really frustrating games. Uh, but if you're able to score the first goal, it, it becomes so much easier. Right. And then you don't have to throw nine or 10 guys forward. Um, you know, they have to come out of the shell a little bit. Um, so yeah, when you go down in one of those games, it's really, really challenging to come back. So, you know, I'm glad Atlanta did. They were probably unlucky to not win the game with that offside call, which, I don't, didn't think it was offside, but, um, yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. But, uh, yeah, good to come back from that. But disappointing that we've, you know, two games and two home games and, and two deficits. Yeah, and uh, you still go up in the standings in the Eastern Conference after what happened with, with Toronto. Uh, match with Charlotte coming up. And, and folks are still trying to figure out what, what to call it. And, you know, is it an I-85 derby? What kind of a derby is it? And I know, I know a lot of folks are trying to – and, and this is a fantastic idea if we can figure out how to do it. Does somewhere in there include Anton's name as a part of this, considering what he meant to both teams? Uh, when it comes to, to derbies in general, what is the locker room like during the span of a week – you, you've got to you've done with your previous match and it's like, OK, you dust yourself off of the old one. But now you've got a derby coming up. How, how different is a locker room knowing that there's a derby and a rivalry game coming up the next time that you go out there on the pitch? Um, is it different? How different is it? Or are you just kind of sitting there taking care of business? And those of us who are outside playing sit there and put more attention to it than the players do. Well, I think that's where. That's where it was with Atlanta United when I was there, right? I think that the derby with Orlando, 
it was created, you know, by social media. It was by Darren himself doing a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes we'd get frustrated with Darren and, and why he was doing it. Cause it was like, man, you're making our life harder. Like we're the better team. Stop motivating them. Right. <laughs> like getting them all fired up, getting a, a billboard down in their own city um things like that but i get it the rivalries make the sport more enjoyable those games are always a little bit more intense um and i think that we knew that and we felt that um even though i don't know how much of a rivalry you can call it when one team doesn't beat the other team for three years yankees red Sox, brother that's what it's all about totally totally and i grew up a huge red Sox fan and uh, i loved watching those games um so i get it and i hope like those true rivalries, though, the, the the problem with having Anton associated with it is usually these rivalries. There's a little hatred in there, and and that's good for the rivalry because that's what fuels it a little bit. And I don't know, you don't want Anton's name associated with that. Is yeah. so I, I don't know. It's challenging. Well, one of the things that you were mentioning this week, and this was the the mentoring part that I wanted to get into, was one, one of the things, for those of you that don't follow at BG Mentoring on all of your social medias, you should, it was where you were discussing emotions. And that was why I wanted to kind of go from Darby's into to handling emotions and understanding emotions and things like that. For, for players, especially the younger players, they're still trying to figure out, really, it's almost like driving a stick, right? Where you're trying to sit there and figure out, okay, how much of the clutch do I need to push in and then release it and hit the gas and change gears and all these kinds of things. It's almost like driving a stick for, for a younger player trying to figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's difficult, right? Because you think like, Oh, I need to always, always pump up, always pump up, um, you know, really get, get the emotions rolling here. And um, you know, there's, there's a time when you need to do the opposite and just, you know, take it down a notch and, you know, um, you know, we talk on here a lot about those fine lines, especially when, when we're losing, right? Coming off a loss, right? And what's the reaction as far as like understanding and taking things away from that loss, especially early on in the season to use, you know, throughout the rest of the season uh, versus, you know, not allowing one loss lead to another and not, not accepting losing but understanding like, okay, there's, there's a lot more games left and those types of things because at Atlanta United, and I think that this is one of our problems. We, we didn't do well coming back from deficits and games. And, and I think that that was a lot of the mental emotional roller coaster that a lot of the players on the team had, right. Of like, you know, we went down a goal and it was just like, you know, like if we didn't get that goal back within 10, 15 minutes, it really affected us. If we went into the locker room losing, um, you know, you would have thought the sky was falling, um, you know, and same thing after some of the games. And some of that is OK, because, again, you don't want to accept losing and you want to hold guys accountable and stuff. But some of it is um, draining, uh, especially over the course of a long season. So it's like, you know, there's that there's that space where you can be disappointed and learn from it, but not let it affect your confidence or the overall um mojo of the group going forward because and cratering is probably the first word that popped into my head 
when you're discussing all of these highs and lows and you're trying to sit there and make sure it doesn't turn into a labor of Sisyphus, I guess, where you go down into the valley and then you're trying, you're trying to get it right up to the top and then you think you've got it to the top. And then for some reason, the boulder slides back down and goes back into the valley. Yet cratering was something that when it comes to emotions, that's something that I didn't necessarily think about and consider where I've always thought, and once again, this is just me covering and, and not, you know, being out there playing professionally, trying to make sure that you, you keep that even keel. But when you do hit that bottom, how difficult the journey can be sometimes for some, for some players, I would imagine it's a lot harder when you're in that Valley to come all the way back up. I would think mm -hmm. that some folks are like, yeah, okay, I can manage it better. But then are, then there are some who are more difficult to, to get out of that Valley sometimes. Totally. And I think that, you know, this is this was one of my strengths throughout my career, right? Of the, the mental kind of space and, and stability a little bit that helps um, with consistency. And, you know, I, one of the things I learned was to, to avoid the valley. It really helps by avoiding the very, very top of the mountain. Right. And so like, we want to enjoy good things and be happy and be excited and, you know, celebrate good things that occur. But um, the, the goal shouldn't be to get on the very top, to be on cloud nine, to be for life to be perfect and everything to be perfect. Right. Cause life is just not like that. Yes. You get little moments of it. Um, but if we are expecting perfection and striving for perfection all the time, then when we don't get it, we're focusing on, you know, the negatives of why isn't it perfect and why can't I be perfect? And, oh, you know, will it ever be perfect instead of like focusing on like, oh, these things I did really well today um, type stuff. And then, you know, the people that are on or strive for cloud nine and when they get there, those are the people that when it starts to go bad, usually uh, ride the roller coaster all the way down to the bottom because they don't have that mentality of like, yeah, I'm, things might not always be great. You know, bad things life's not fair. It's one of my favorite sayings. I tell my kids all the time, like, you know, bad things happen. Um, you know, I think when you expect those things, um, and not that you're looking forward to them, but you know that they're a possibility, um, then you're, you're less likely to hit that bottom, but yeah, you're right. Hitting that bottom's tough. And, and we've all been there and it takes time to get out of it. Right. Confidence isn't something when you lose it, like who it's back in a flash, right? It's, it's tough. It's always tougher to gain things back than it is to lose it. You know, similar to like weight, right? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Body tone or muscle or all that stuff, right? You can lose it real quick. It's fitness. It's tough to get it back. As someone who played at that even keel, and I know it took a while for you to, to understand that it's okay to, to be at the midline so you're not always on the peak or always in a valley. How many players – do you think you rubbed off on in a positive way to help them before you got into beyond goals and such when you were an active player, how many players do you think you rubbed off on with your approach and helped them come out of the Valley and understand it's okay to have a base camp at, you know, at the, the middle of the mountain. Yeah, hopefully some, uh, I, I think, I think some, hopefully uh, a few more. And, you know, I think some of that comes with, experience um you know the south americans in general are are more emotional players um so definitely a, a lot of them not all of them um you know struggled in this in this area um you know and i think that i tried to 
you know, and I, and I, and I get that it's a little bit different in South America, right? Every loss like is, is under a, a microscope and you can't go out and this and that. And, and some of that is okay. in far as like, again, it puts pressure on you to perform well and, and there's consequences and those types of things. But part of it is like, it's really tough to, to play well and play free when you're under that type of stress and anxiety all the time and fear of, of losing. Um, you know, so I, I hope I, uh, rubbed off. I think I did. And, you know, in our locker room, we had a, a few, you know, Jeff was pretty similar. Darlington was similar. Um, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, those younger guys in the South Americans rubbed off on us a little bit too, of like, Hey, you know, it's okay to, you know, celebrate these good wins and take a picture in the locker room afterwards and, you know, have fun with it. Um, you know, and, and then come down from there. I just have this vision of, of Big Red sitting there being an excitable individual and wondering what that actually is all about. <laughs> yeah. we, declare, we declare a national holiday when Jeff Lorenowitz uh, shows emotion as a professional athlete. Is that, is that one, one in a million days? Sit there and go, it's, it's Big Red's day. Holy crap, he got mad at something. Did that <laughs> ever actually happen in a locker room where, where Jeff Lorenowitz actually blew his stack? Yes, for sure. <laughs> I think that happened more often than Jeff being overcome by uh, positive and uh, excitement uh, emotions. Um, it probably, probably swung the other way a little bit more. Uh, question from Emilio this morning, and he wants to know about the difficulty of playing on the road. Does a smaller road crowd affect players the same as, say, playing at Lumen or going up against the Sounders and that level of a crowd, trying to figure out why Atlanta might have been struggling on the road. And But I will say this, Emilio, winning on the road in Major League Soccer is not something that happens a lot. I think last season it happened two out of about every seven times in general. So it's not just something that it, it might be stuck in your mind for Atlanta United. It is difficult to win on the road, period, but then Emilio's question about crowd size, is it difficult to play against a smaller crowd sometimes like in maybe a Houston or something like that versus playing at Lumen? What, what, was, what was it like for you? I always enjoyed the bigger crowds, right? It was, it was always easier to get up for the game. You know, there's, there's no fear in, in MLS of playing for, you know, of safety when you're in a big crowd or anything like that. Like I hate people that say like, oh, Related to like war or combat or anything like that. Like, come on, this is this is so different. Um, and so I, I always liked the big crowd, um, but yeah, the travel is is difficult. Um, you know, Pep Guardiola recently was complaining about having to travel. I don't know, it was like a two hour flight for a game or something like that, and it was like, you know, it got a little traction in the U.S. soccer media because it was like. Uh, you know, the things that we have to go through sometimes. I was say, have you, it's like, have you ever been on a flight to Toronto to go to go to see Toronto FC brother? I mean, that's... yeah. And things are changing now. I mean, they all fly, you know, private, which is fantastic. It makes a difference. Right. Uh, I mean, when I was playing here in Columbus, 60% of our flights, 70% of our flights were connecting flights. Um, you know, not even, not even direct. And so, you know, you factoring in time change, it's, it's challenging. Um, that being said, I do think that sometimes the mentality on the road of like 
okay, let's just get a point. Okay, let's be safe. Okay, let's do this is um, sometimes debilitating for a team and handicapping them a little bit. Um, So I kind of like how um, Atlanta, it seems uh, right now, is is playing similar on the road as they do away. Um, And and you have to play a little safer because the home team usually has more energy and is more up for it and whatever, Um, you know, but I like to see us go after it, like especially this weekend, right? Against Charlotte. Um, like they're a good team. They're not a great team. Um, it's not that much travel, you know, it's a rivalry game sort of that they're creating. So like um, I don't think they should play too much differently in, in Charlotte. I understand if you're going to the West coast, you got a long trip, it's the time change, what it could be or Houston where it's 110 degrees, you know, Things like that can absolutely affect um, the the way you uh, outlook for the game and prepare for it. But um, other games, I don't think it should. Another couple of minutes with Michael Parkhurst, our Freddie free kicker, mm-hmm. friends of Beyond Goals Mentoring at BG Mentoring and at MF Parkhurst on the Twitters. When it comes to dealing with today's athlete, I guess this is probably something that you could break down generationally here. Uh, when it comes to dealing with the highs and lows, yes, hydrate, sir. Absolutely. Make it because this is one of those questions where you're going to have to hydrate. When it comes to dealing with the, the younger athletes like you and Greg do at Beyond Goals and handling the highs and the lows compared to when you and Greg were playing and dealing with the highs and the lows, how different is it looking at today's younger player and how they deal with it? Are you seeing more extremes with them? when it comes to today's athlete and dealing with highs and lows, are they understanding context more uh, when, when you're dealing with them? What do you see? Yes. Cause I think that there's more expectations and more pressure on kids today. Um, and I think that's, it's from the specialization of sport. It's from parents. It's from society. It's from, you know, trying to get, scholarships it's from you know trying to get into academies and things like that um i mean growing up most of us were playing multiple sports you played your you know your favorite sport maybe a little bit more than the rest but um you know you played for your local team and maybe you went to some tournaments but you know you were maybe you tried out for odp but outside of that there wasn't like that constant like oh i need to get to atlanta united academy next year or you know i need to get to ECNL or MLS next, or, you know, this, that, or the other thing, Um, you know, so there's with all of these new opportunities and new training methods and all this stuff, which is so great for the younger athlete to improve uh, with that comes a lot of expectations and pressure. And so I think with that comes more ups and downs and, and dealing with, um, you know, positives and negatives. So it's tougher, I think, for the, the younger athlete today. All right, two, uh, two more questions, and uh, one has to do with something that Atlanta United fans got to see last time out, and I don't know how you are in dealing with heights, and so I wanted to, to find it. Dude, what was it like being on top of Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a very, very pretty shot <laughs> with that promo? What was that like, man? Oh, that was cool. Um, <clears throat> I, I enjoyed that. That was cool. I'm not good with heights. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's funny when you say that it instantly reminds me and brings me back. There was a hotel in Houston that we used to stay at for away games. And it was one of those where like the, the open lobby all the way up 
and the rooms were on the outside. And we'd always be on like the 30th floor, something way up. And I, every time I was like scaling, uh, you know, and, and there was, all there was, was like, you know, a, a three and a half foot, you know, thing that you could, you know, lean over and you're look down. You're not throwing water balloons off of that into the lobby or anything? Oh my God. I'm like scaling along from the, the wall just to get to the elevator and back and I'm not passing anybody. It was, I, I hated that hotel. Gosh, not but, good yeah, place. But standing on top of Mercedes Benz to shoot the promo video, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought I, I wasn't actually on top of the Benz. I don't know how they got that. Uh, that oh, okay. Shot. Okay. Maybe, well, of course, I could be blind and thinking you were someplace else. And, and uh, one other thing, you got a head coach. We did get a head coach. Yes, Connell Smith. How did this come to pass? What were these this negotiations like? Ah, uh, man, it was a process. Not not so much the negotiation with Connor, just the overall process of of looking for and hiring a coach. Um, it was it was I enjoyed it. It was myself and one other guy were uh, uh, in charge of it, and and we probably interviewed thirty so on coaches. Um, you know, we we had said that um, experience in U.S whether USL or MLS was important, especially for a startup team. Um, and so we wanted to hire someone with that experience. That being said, we did interview some coaches that had no experience here um, from South America, from Europe, but, you know, we, we really valued that experience. And so uh, Kano's name had brought, been brought up for a few different people um i i knew Kano, uh played with him in new england my first four years as a pro um and just a great human being really good dude um really respected in the coaching um sphere and, and amongst his players as well so we feel really good about the hire um and, and excited to have him on board and hopefully uh can put together a, a really good team for us all right so uh the the producers of the show would like to reach out to michael parkhurst at rhode island fc about getting an interview with Connor smith the new head coach at rhode island fc is, is that is that a possibility who do we talk to at the totally you talk to me john that's it that's all you need <laughs> totally you let you let me know when we'd like to do a 1v1 with your new head coach sir because uh, as things continue to grow all right what's the next thing you knock off your checklist at rifc Next thing is, oh gosh, there's the list is just endless, John. It's unbelievable. The, the steps, um, you know, finding a training ground uh, and, and developing that is a big one. Um, starting to put together ideas for a roster, assistant coaches. Um, we have to get up there and connect with the community a little bit more this summer. Um so all of that is more, is more beer, more beer drinking socials is what you're saying. I can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, time for the promo for everybody to, to get in touch with you and Greg at beyond goals and with you at RIFC. How do they do it? Yeah, we are at beyond goals mentor BGM, BGM mentoring BG on mentoring. Twitter. BG mentoring. BG mentoring. Yeah. BG Mentoring, geez, I should know this better, on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, we've got a YouTube page going on now. Our grand idea for a YouTube page, John, real quick, by the way, is to have like a, a one-stop shop for younger players to go to for information. So it's like, you know, what's the difference between ECNL and MLS Next and, and GA and this and that? Because uh, I get so many questions about that. And then like fitness, nutrition, interviews with athletes about the mental side of the game, just a 
whole bunch of information. So we're just starting to work on that, but I think that'll be uh, cool to put together and, and hopefully a really good resource for, for young soccer players. Looking forward to it. It's Kano and Cap at RIFC with the announcement up there and uh, Michael Parker, Greg Garza at BG Mentoring on the Twitters. Cap, as always, it's great to catch up with you. Love the lid as uh, Atlanta United gets ready for their match with Charlotte FC this weekend. Thanks for hanging out as always, my friend. We'll see you soon. You got it, John. Enjoy the basketball.